Hello, and welcome to Ipsit Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Wombat, a digital artist currently working with NFTs. We will discuss her experiences in the digital art space. So welcome to the show, Wombat. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure's all mine. I'm so glad that my friend Jim recommended you because I absolutely adore the work that you make. And I think it's really witty um, and, and, and incisive as well. So I'm delighted to talk to you about it. Uh, for listeners who haven't had the pleasure of, of experiencing your work yet, I wonder if you could say a little bit about your background and you know, how you got interested in digital art in the first place. Sure. I was interested really early on, I guess early on as in relative to video even being available to stream online at all and have it work. So I, I started experimenting with digital video just in a very self-taught kind of way. Um, probably like very early 2000s, like 2001 and beyond, like back when I was still in high school. Um, this is really stupid, really stupid stuff, you know, <laughs> just inside jokes with like friends and just goofy things uh, that should never see the light of day. And thankfully they're destroyed now on hard drives <laughs> like a very long time ago. Uh, but then uh, I started making some stuff that was more polished when I was going to art school in Florida but it was still kind of in the jokey realm, I suppose. But I was always trying to push the parameter in class of what I could get away with. Because who's to say what the definition of art really is? It's quite subjective, isn't it? Um, YouTube was like three years old when I put a couple videos on there. So this is like 2008, I think. Uh, a couple of videos that I put on there only because some classmates encouraged me to put them on YouTube. I just, it, I hadn't really occurred to me. It didn't seem like there was a lot of personally made content on YouTube at the time. It was mostly like car crashes and, you know, just weird uh, other things. And they blew up to my surprise. I mean, at the time getting a million views in a few months was a lot. It's, pro it's nothing now, <laughs> but at the time it was kind of overwhelming. I was kind of scared. It kind of scared me, honestly. Like I was flattered, but like I was afraid of all the attention just because being shy and young and all those other girl things. But um, I do remember that I got a lot of what you get is a lot of feedback when that happens. And honestly, my favorite comments that I received were like the ones of shock and hate. <laughs> This isn't me trying to say I'm intentionally being a troll. It's me saying that I think the work that signifies that the work's challenging, I guess, right? Which is I I'm always interested in making some stuff that's a little bit edgier. There's a there's a certain realm of the art world that's very decorative, and I don't think that's there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not comfortable with settling into pure decoration. Cause I don't know. It just makes me, it's just sleepy conceptually for me. Um, so there's good and bad to making challenging work, you know, like some people are going to be turned off by it and, um, but other people are going to crave more of it. So from there um, I continued making like a few 
films. And by the way, these are all like kind of copyright gray area films because they're experimental, but they're also combining various copyrighted material. Uh, I found out later that they came to be known as mashups. This was not a known thing at the time. Um, now a mashup is a really popular genre online. Uh, it's great. Like everyone knows what that is now. Uh, it's really fun. And uh, along the way, um, I won a contest and I ended up showing some of that work in the Guggenheim, which that <laughs> it's just funny seeing the type of work that it was managing to make it there and having like those institutional people like actually understand what I was trying to do. Um, I was told afterward to go think, Nancy Spector, like I was told by other curators when I was at the event to go to her and thank her because of how difficult it was for them to get clearance to play this copyright gray area work, like uh, huge on the rotunda inside the Guggenheim. Um, and I did go thank her and she was very polite. Uh, <laughs> and so there was a time after where I showed in some other like art fairs People would really enjoy the work. It's all other digital video work, like challenging in different realms. Like I would do takes on like presidential assassination videos. Like I picked apart the Zupruder film just aesthetically, things that were just really challenging. I think it was a little hard for certain people, but the hardest thing was commodifying it, right? And so that's where like crypto eventually has come in, crypto art. But until then, there was a long period of time where I was really unsure how this genre was ever going to be indoctrined fully. What was your experience like of showing work at the Guggenheim, the kind of reaction you got from the people who chose to show it and who you had an opportunity to talk to about why they chose to show it and sort of kind of like dive bombing the art world all of a sudden? Like that, because you know, looking at the the documentation of the event, I got to say that the piece you showed was remarkably kind of sophisticated and ahead of its time for like the moment in which it was being screened. Like it still feels very fresh today in a way that maybe some of the other work doesn't. I think a lot of people were surprised that the Guggenheim decided to put on this event in partnership with YouTube. Um, it was also called a biennial at the time, you know, largely implying that they were going to do it every two years. I think what happened um, because it did not reoccur. I think the case was that YouTube became much more commercial afterwards and the algorithms had entirely, they completely changed. Um, so it wasn't just what you found wanting to watch it bare minimum that like everything, you know, copyright DMCA, all of that stuff got a lot more complicated after that. So they probably were not able to continue. So it was a really interesting moment where um, a big institution like that was trying to embrace and like curate some stuff from this, you know, enormous sea of things that were starting to develop. And some of them were actually creative. I was told that there were uh, like over 23,000 submissions to this thing they had a very like a relatively small group of curators watching video per video. One curator, uh, Hanamugas, she told me that she watched 11,000 videos all on her own. 
Um, so the, it was just, it was very ambitious what they were trying to do. And a lot of these details, I didn't find out until I arrived at the ceremony naturally, because I wasn't, you know, meeting with them. I was about to graduate from, um, from college. It was like the end of my senior year ish, or I was about to, I was about to start actually senior year. And I found out during the summer that I was being chosen as a finalist and like wheedled down. And kind of like they do on reality television now, I was like, I had to sign documents to say that I was not going to tell that I was going to be a part of this thing. So that was a very interesting two months of me holding my breath and yeah, in anticipation of this thing. Um, And it was, you know, it was just a very, it was a cool ceremony. Um, The other contestants, I think there were like, there was like a short list and then there was like a contestant list. I think the contestant list was like 125 people at one. Some of them were teams of people making a video and 25 were like the finalist finalists. And it was just such an interesting and brave thing for them to do. Um, the jurors were amazing, like Marilyn Minter and some other really big people on there. Um and so it was just that they were trying to make that call. They were understanding that, you know, what the fine art world regards as new media was finally bound to sweep over because of this type of tech, the streaming video, like it was finally happening. Well, so after that, and, you know, as you left school and started working on developing your own artistic practice, sort of where did you try to take it next? And sort of what challenges or experiences do you, did you have making work in dig- various digital genres and finding places you could show it, even maybe potentially finding galleries or collectors who were interested in it? So um, after that, I was trying to make works that were I, I still did some film narrative stuff here and there, but I really, I became fascinated with like the idea of a fully contained kind of artwork that is video, but it is meant to be viewed in a painterly type of way where you're kind of staying in it. And it's just meant to be, you know, not fully immersive. Obviously that's more available now as an experience to do something fully immersive, but just something, you know, that is object like, but not a film exactly because it seems to me that that that's where a lot of these things are going or that's going to make more sense in the home. Like just trying to incorporate things like that um, into the ideas of it. And people like really, I felt very lucky that people enjoyed the work so much, but then I felt kind of misunderstood trying to get the collection idea to click, especially with the traditional art world, which even in my own art school, there was sort of a video department, but there certainly wasn't an animation department. And the video department was geared more towards film. Uh, That's not really that surprising. I think that that's probably changed by now, but at the time, that's what you had mostly. And then to become an animator, you generally like went to a more tech oriented school to learn that like as a craft, but not necessarily as like an art. So my understanding of it has been like that when I've shown all these times and been in these galleries and been in these art fairs and then sometimes film festivals, you know, even though it's like, is this a film or not? You know, it's fine with me. Uh, They it's, 
the fine art people have not been trained um, as to how to even like regard the media. It's like to even talk about screen space color, like RGB is the difference between that and CMYK and printing and like other things like that. Like screen space has, it's just taken a little while longer to be like talked about. Um, there is this post-internet art movement that has been underway for a while, but the the irony is like the post-internet art movement largely ended up having to be like analog art talking about digital realms because collection was just not deemed possible. There are some brave people, a few brave artists and a few brave collectors that were even able to like commodify whole web pages that were like art web pages. I remember uh, Raphael Rosenthal is one of them. Um, but that it was just so unheard of. And it was like, how did they manage to do that? You know, because that is obviously the realm of the future, but um, they had to find a really special person to like regard it in that way and understand it and support it. So now it just has all fallen into place with blockchain in this really explosive way that's honestly been way overdue. So like, I think people like me that have been doing this for 12, 15 years to some, in some cases like 20 years, like there's gotta be some sense of relief, even though the market is unsettled as we were talking about at one point, you know, like volatile, unsettled, like they ought to hold out faith that they'll settle into it somewhere. When did you first hear about NFTs? And when you did, did you immediately kind of see them as uh, something with real potential for the kind of areas you were working in? Or did it take a while for you to kind of get make sense of what you might do with them and how they might be useful and interesting? They made sense to me immediately because of how long I'd been anticipating or just or even just like being hungry for some sort of conjoined system like blockchain. I didn't jump in right away though. I did like analyze the market and I felt like it was really important to enter at the right place at the right time and put out the right thing. I think like there'd be a certain, certain people said to me in the beginning, like release Wonderland Mafia, release, you know, any of those original like narrative film things on there. And it just, it didn't feel right at the time. I didn't feel like you know, releasing like something that old for one. Um, the copyright gray area was like confusing to me. Like it's, it's sort of like a, if you do it, you got to do it right. Plus the things that I had been making since then, like the more painter-esque kind of motion um, animation stuff, this was finally like the home that makes sense to them. So I realized that I needed to condense the uh, the data a lot because I'm used to being able to work like very large format. Cause I've done like, you know, concerts, like world tour visuals for concerts and some like large uh, architectural installation kind of things where you want like the biggest data file possible, like the, the biggest bit depth, <laughs> like hundreds and hundreds of gigs in some cases, just for one video that will play for like hours and hours. This space has not been like that yet obviously a lot of them want to save on server space there's often like a 50 megabyte limit um so it didn't take me too long to really pare down like what i was making before like in those kind of themes down into like little juicy loops that are like seamless enough um so that you feel like you're staying in them forever so what have your experiences been like engaging 
with the NFT market. Are there aspects of it that you found really rewarding or really useful? Are there maybe aspects that you don't like as much or that you're a little bit more concerned about? The number one thing that has been amazing about this whole space, and I know I'm not alone in saying this, is that it finally linked some people that were already in a niche before, but spread out, maybe kind of like hiding as film VFX people, as all sorts of, you know, concert visual people. And then it was all of those people that were in a niche. And then if they wanted to go into this even deeper niche called the blockchain art, like we finally found like our weird tribe of nerds and it's just like the perfect space for being able to finally talk shop about deeply digital realms. Um, you know, like, and then technologists are meeting up with the artists and they're pairing and like making new things together. It's just like, this is our new soup. And I, I love being in the soup with everyone. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that I've, I've noticed is that although the NFT kind of space market is, you know, substantially anonymous, I do get the impression that it, it can be very male. What's it been like sort of negotiating that space as a woman? How have you seen other women sort of in your position sort of charting a course for themselves as artists in that space? You know, it's an interesting question because for me, it's not extremely different than where I was working previously, which was I have worked like at a small, like creative collective that was largely tech based for a while, um, doing the concert work and the architectural kind of installation things. And like, because it's so tech based, you know, I've usually, I'm kind of used to being the only woman in the room working with people. Um, and it's kind of, it's like when I get introduced you know, at conventions and different work events with lots of people, I think that it takes a little extra explanation to the person I'm getting introduced to that I actually do work in the field and I'm not somebody's girlfriend or something like, and I don't want it. I don't want to come across as accusing anyone of being rude. Cause I don't, I just think it's like, it's just kind of a coincidence that men were more attracted to the tech space first. And so it's just not as expected like the women that, you know, have the interest and the knowledge, it's just not as expected for them to look, you know, for you to meet someone like that and have them be a feminine person. And it's just, that's like yet another numbers game thing that's going to work out over time. Like everyone's going to have to live based on something blockchain or not, whether they're like really aware that it's blockchain that they're transacting with. I've heard, you know, the theory that like one day, like most people when they first interact with something blockchain related, like maybe they won't know it's blockchain related, but it's going to be like the basis of all the things. Right. And tech is going to become more and more knowledgeable, whether you want to go the non-user friendly route or the user friendly route, right? Like Mac or PC or any of that. So I just don't expect these numbers to stay the same. There's also like this other aspect about um, like in the art world, like traditionally that women get paid a lot, they make a lot less um, than men. That's maybe that's maybe the harder thing to crack, actually, than just the tech aspect. Um, I'm not really sure why that is, but I do think that there's enough 
like societal changes going on and that I hope for that to balance out as well. Um, it is really important to lift up other women in the space too. Um, people have been accumulating like lists of just the women doing blockchain, trying to lift them up, trying to find out more about them because sometimes when it comes to like online socials and algorithms, you end up, what you end up seeing the most of are just like the loudest people or the people that can blast out the most. And you can get this like incorrect idea of like what humanity really is. Cause you're getting that, like that loud tip of the iceberg. And like, maybe some of us are just not as loud, but that, but that doesn't mean that we're not doing it. Um, I think that marketplaces are going to improve. I think that we do need not just women, but like this space will want better curatorship, more representation. Uh, I don't think that all of the, the old art world habits need to be thrown away. I think there's, we're, we're finding out directly that we need some of that right now and in a fair way, you know, in a fair way, uh, not an oppressive way. Right. I think all of those things are going to bring more egalitarian nature to the space. Well, so when you approach the NFT market, like how have you personally thought about, you know, getting the word out about your own work, helping people understand what you're doing and, and why you're doing it? What kind of experiences have you had working with other people who are working as, say, like facilitators and whatnot? And then in addition, I kind of wonder what your experiences have been like with with collectors to the extent that you've engaged with them directly and heard from them about, you know, what they're responding to about your work. Yeah, engaging directly with your collectors is really, really important. And honestly, it's really fun. It's really cool. Like it's the, one of the best things that you can do is be in some of these discord communities and just and joke around and have fun. They're your friends. Honestly, they appreciate what you do. There doesn't have to be like this mystique. Like there was more previously in the art world, in some cases, like a wall, like a, a person and a gatekeeper in between. Like, I don't think that that's totally like always the wrong thing to do. I think some people have been making really interesting statements by doing that. But then there's this whole alternative realm where like you can directly be involved in your clan and curate it the way that you want to um, with like-minded people. And there's so much diversity in the work that it's really cool to find those people that enjoy your same subjective experience. Um, the, the, the trial is that you have to put yourself out there enough over and over again but it's sort of like a build it and they will come. The consistency aspect is definitely a part of this. And us artists are pretty sensitive. And uh, for the most part, like probably like me, like pretty, they have like rejection anxiety. And so like, it's really about powering through that um, because that's literally all you have to do is the consistency um, and like try and, and just be genuine. Like so far this place is this, whole space is about genuinely connecting in a lot of cases, especially when it's smaller artists coming out. Well, so as an artist working in this really new market, are there things that are especially important to you for collectors in particular to understand about what you're doing, why you're doing it and what it means? And to what extent in these interactions that you've had 
with collectors and other people who are excited about your work in the NFT space and discords and so on. Have you learned things that surprised you about, you know, how your work is received and what people are responding to? So one thing that's interesting is largely people are discovering work on a, this size screen. I'm holding my phone right now. Um, that means that like really detailed work can get lost. Uh, the detail can get really fuzzy. I think that explains why you see so many um, pixel art, like other things. They are trends too. I mean, they are saying thing, things about digital nature and like being digitally native and the origin of all of this. But in addition to that, it comes in handy as like an entryway of understanding, viewing and identifying this stuff as really small, like almost like thumbnail sized things in, in your hand. So when it comes to my work, I'm used to working very detailed. I have pared down a little bit, but there's only so far I'll go because I have a lot of confidence that um, AR and VR and XR, it's going to make this stuff seem like it's as large as you want it right next to you anyway, via whatever that ends up being. There's so many, te- there's so much tech that's been developed for a while regarding like either glasses, even contact lenses. Uh, there's just a lot that's going to be there. So I don't, I feel like maybe that's another early thing. Like this is often my curse, like being too early. So it's like not an immediate, like, you know, run on my bank, so to speak, and not an immediate understanding, but I, I, I'm okay with making things really detailed, knowing that that will be like acceptable and important in the future. One thing I've been really interested in is to get a better sense of like how people like you who are coming into the NFT space from a more kind of quasi traditional art world background view other people who are also selling work in the market who in some respects, it seems like the kind of work they're doing is really different. I'm thinking more like a lot of the PFP projects or quote unquote collectible type projects. Do you see, do you see those people working in the same space as you, a totally different space as you, or one that's kind of related in some ways, but not as not in others? It's a really good question. Uh, when it comes to like the quasi fine art people that maybe are looking at the space or they want to enter the space. Um, I've seen like a handful of things that happen with that. There's um, some of them that maybe they're going to have to tweak what they do to make it a little more like digitally friendly, which I have seen many of them doing that, whether it's like from partnerships with people that are digital animators um, or whether they just kind of spice it up and like change the aesthetics a little bit, whether it's motion or still like some things translate better than other things, which should not be, Take it personally because, you know, not everything works as a sculpture. Not everything works as a watercolor. Like it's, it's, you know, we can all be diverse and happy in our realms and then change over to other realms accordingly. And then sometimes I, I see a lot of misunderstanding currently between the old art world and, and the tech people. And I don't feel like it needs to stay that way. I've personally been trying to get both of them to hold hands and frolic through the field happily through rainbows with one another whenever I get the chance, because there's going to be some people like me, but not most that have knowledge about both worlds in order to try and bridge that gap. 
because I don't see why there should be a rivalry. When it comes to those PFP projects, on the other hand, um, I am now just beginning to see like some of them being ventured into by far, fine art people. And they're, they're doing it in their own way, you know, like by uh, like one recently is like called the Medusa drop. So it's kind of, it's referencing like, like some more finer aesthetics, like Greek mythology, things like that. But um, it's, you know, it's tricky because the PFP things, some of them have great utility. So there's this, you know, if, when you ask me, do I see them in a different world than me? Well, it's almost like there's kind of like this big gradated spectrum of this stuff. So like we're all in space time together, but you got to bend space time a little bit to get over to this other realm of it. So other realm of it, like, you know, I, I have like some plans for future utility, even with my work, by the way, what I think that that's like going to be increasingly important and just like a cool extra community building kind of benefit to being a collector of a particular artist. Then there are some NFT things that um, that barely even have an aesthetic and the aesthetic like is not of any importance. It's just a functionality kind of realm. Like uh, like ticketing is like the, the easiest example to bring up here. But um, there's I just I know that there's going to be other things that where the token is purely utilitarian. Does that not make it an NFT? No, of course it's an NFT. But see, I think that in the future, we're not going to be calling crypto art NFT because it's almost like saying this is television, but we're talking about the plug that plugs it into the wall to power the electricity. Like NFT will be kind of an outdated term. I like it. Well, so Wombat, in closing, I wonder if you could then kind of lead me through a little bit sort of what you see coming and how your kind of thoughts about what the future of this market might look like is informing sort of how you're thinking about your own artwork um, sort of developing going forward. Yeah, it goes back to something that I mentioned earlier. It, you know what it goes back to? It goes back to metaverse development. So if you want to just contain this, which we kind of have to within the big bubble that is metaverse development as a whole, like met, metaverse development, it's, it's going to make like crypto art seem increasingly less different than art, art, normal art, OG art, whatever you want to call it. Like life digitally is going to become more seamless in general. There's a lot of clunkiness right now, you know, like having this phone, this little square thing in your hand and you have to like hurt your neck looking at it all the time. And then your mom says, you know, go outside and play. Like there's just going to be a lot more seamlessness between all these realms and so if you just if you consider like crypto art just becoming pulled into to like a less clunky there you know existence between these two realms then it's just going to be more acceptable than ever before and more useful and more enriching than ever before and just extremely accessible every day. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much Wombat. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about your work. I love what you do and I'm really excited to see what you do next. Thanks, Brian. Mm-hmm.